Good evening. I'm Joseph Martinez, and welcome to Dead Time Stories, a podcast by Graveyard Shift, dedicated to telling just that. Short, scary stories submitted by real people. Whether the stories are real or not, who knows? But they are scary. Tonight, our host, Deadhead, shares with you six tales. Now, please forgive me. I can take you no further. But your stories lie just ahead. Do be careful, though. Deadhead can be... Mercurial. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Lovely to have you back in the catacombs. Tonight, I've exhumed six scary stories about transition. Our first tale follows Lucy, a young woman who wishes she'd taken the stairs. I call this one, This Old Elevator. A few years ago, I was in the process of moving from my old apartment across town into a new one closer to my office. During the moving process, I needed a place to stay for a couple nights, so my friend Wayne offered to let me crash on his couch. Not ideal, since Wayne wasn't the cleanest person, but it was only 15 minutes from work, and things were getting really busy, so it made sense at the time. Problem was, Wayne lived in an iffy neighborhood in a dingy old apartment building called Shefford Towers. It was hardly towers of any kind, though, since it was just a single building with only five floors. The main doors and gates were hardly ever locked, The hallways were dirty, and half the mailboxes in the lobby were busted. Oh, and a woman who lived in the building had gone missing the month before. Wayne asked the building manager about it after I pushed him to, and the manager said the police suspected suicide. Still, really scary for a single woman like me. So, of course, I was thrilled to be there. But it was only going to be a couple nights, right? No big deal. Ugh, but the elevator. It was old. Not like the old time you pull the lever to choose your floor or anything. It had buttons and stuff. It was just old for a modern elevator, I guess. Maybe from like the 70s. The carpet, which clearly used to be some kind of burgundy, was stained by God knows what and burned by cigarettes. The floor buttons had almost all had their lettering rubbed off. The wood paneling inside was so knotted and worn, it was like being inside of a pirate ship or something. I had complained to Wayne about it a few times when I'd visited him or come around to buy weed before it was legalized, and he always responded with, yeah, but the rent's cheap. I couldn't argue with that, not in this city. The worst thing about the elevator, though, was the way it sounded as it went up and down. As soon as you pushed a button, the whole thing would shake violently for a moment, like you'd woken a sleeping giant. Then it would groan in agony, like the cable was going to snap at any moment. A deep, sad moan. It almost sounded human. 
The expired elevator inspection permit attached to the wall didn't help things. And when it finally reached the right floor, the doors took the longest time to open. Like the elevator was thinking about never letting you out. I hated riding that thing. Hated. Yes, there were stairs, but they always smelled like pee, and Wayne said he once saw a bomb masturbating in there. So, yeah. Anyway, it's the last night I'm staying there, and Wayne's out with a girl he'd met the night before. So, it's just me. I get home from work kind of late, like 9.30, and don't feel like trying to cook with Wayne's one tiny pan. So I decide to drop my stuff off at the apartment real quick, then go to grab some takeout at the sushi place a block away that's usually open late. I'm riding the elevator down, hating every second I have to spend in there, then get to the bottom. I step out into the lobby, and that's when I realize I'd forgotten my phone. Of course. So I turn back to the gaping maw of that awful elevator, and I get this weird feeling. Like something isn't right. Like it's waiting for me to get back in. I didn't want to, but I needed my phone just in case. So I step back in and hit the button for the fifth floor. The thing shakes like usual, then starts to climb, moaning and groaning like a dying robot. And I'm just trying to think about sushi when the elevator stops. Like, completely. I'm stuck between the third and fourth floors, so I start freaking out, pushing all the buttons, but nothing happens. I hit the emergency button, and nothing happens. Then the lights go off. All that's left in this elevator now is a tiny red safety light, so I can barely see anything. I reach for my phone to call for help and quickly realize, oh yeah, I don't have it. So I start screaming for help, hoping someone in the building can hear me. But minutes go by and there's nothing. There's no one. At this point, I'm starting to cry and I back into a corner and just kind of huddle up, waiting for this nightmare to be over. Eventually, they'll realize the elevator isn't working, right? Somebody will have to come soon. At least that's what I hoped. But the minutes turned to hours and nobody had come. I had practically screamed my voice away. I leaned against the wall and closed my eyes. Maybe if I slept, I'd wake up saved. That's when I started to hear things. Voices whispering for me to do things. Come along now, they'd say, or join us. Over and over they begged. I looked around for the source, but I was alone totally alone. Then I started to see things, I think. I I can't be certain, but the knots in the old wood started to look like faces. Their eyes blinked and stared, their mouths twisted in smiles. Join us. Come with us. I had been stuck in the elevator for so long, I I was losing my mind. I couldn't tell what was real anymore. I couldn't take it any longer. So I started looking for a way out. I tried prying open the doors, but they wouldn't budge. I swear I heard the voices laugh. Then I thought, maybe there would be an escape hatch. I looked above at the ceiling, and I could barely make out a squarish outline in the dark. Using the gold metal handrail along the elevator's walls, I climbed up and pushed the hatch open. A dank, musty smell hit me, but at least I finally had a way out. I secured my grip with both my hands and I pulled myself up. It was the hardest pull-up I'd ever done. My head peeked over, but I couldn't see anything. It was so dark. Then I pulled my body up a little more, so I was holding myself up with my shoulders and elbows. 
I took a break for a second so my eyes could adjust to the dark and I could recharge some energy. Then, oh God, I hate talking about this. I saw something on top of the elevator, a dark lump a few feet away. It only took me a few seconds to realize what it was, a body. I could see a pale, gaunt face, shaggy dark hair, and a long gray dress. I was frozen with fear, and I couldn't help but stare at the face's hollow eyes. Get out, it screamed at me, and I fell back into the elevator, landing hard on the stained carpet. The next thing I knew, the lights were back on, and I'd reached my floor. I crawled out of the elevator as fast as I could, ran to Wayne's apartment, grabbed my stuff, and sprinted down the peace-soaked stairwell immediately. I got in my car and drove to my office's parking lot and spent the night there. I was done with that place forever. But in this is the weirdest part. When I grabbed my phone right before I left Wayne's apartment, the time was only 9.33 p.m. I still don't understand. How was I only in there for three minutes? How? I told Wayne about what happened and he mentioned it to the building manager. Sure enough, they found that missing woman's body curled up on the roof of the elevator. They think she climbed out the maintenance hatch and got stuck up there. I can't help but think she went through exactly what I went through. Only she didn't have someone to warn her to help her get away. Needless to say, I never visited Wayne at his place again. Talk about getting the shaft. <laughs> it's time for our first break. But stick around. It only gets scarier from here. Our next tale is all about spirits. What flavor of spirit, you ask? Well, the taste of bourbon, of course. I had just moved to rural Kentucky at the end of the summer before my senior year. I was never very good at making friends, but having to start over at the peak of high school made it almost impossible. Lucky for me, I got a part-time job hauling boxes and barrels at a local bourbon distillery. I won't say the name, but it's small anyway. And I made friends with one of the older guys that worked there. Tom had already graduated and wasn't planning on going to college or anything, and we had like the same kind of stuff. He liked heavy metal and horror movies and video games, so we got along pretty well. All right, so one hot summer night, we were bored, so we decided to drive out to this old cemetery on the hill. It's me and Tom and this girl Charlene that he was kind of dating at the time. So we pull up and start walking around all the old graves because we thought we were cool. Passing around a bottle of bourbon that Tom had lifted from the warehouse. And this place, it was real old, like pre-Civil War stuff and old coal miners and whatnot. A lot of graves had these, uh, well, like a metal hook next to the tombstone with a little bell on it. Safety coffins, they called them. If you accidentally got buried alive, you could pull this string and it would ring the bell so someone would dig you up. Yeah. Well, we're walking around and getting a little drunk. Charlene starts telling us a story about a woman named Hannah Hatcher. She was apparently the mistress of a local bourbon tycoon back in the day. But the guy's wife found out about her and things went bad. First, the bourbon tycoon died mysteriously. Then the distillery went under. 
and then the wife organized a mob of ex-employees to kidnap Hannah. Here's the really nasty part. They took Hannah and buried her alive with the bourbon tycoon in the same casket. Just her, the tycoon, and a bottle of bourbon buried six feet underground. So messed up. Now, they buried them both in a safety casket, but not for the right reason. No, the wife just liked to come to the graveyard every day to sip whiskey and visit her husband's grave and listen to the trap Hannah frantically ringing the bell. Well, supposedly the gravedigger got sick of hearing the bell ring all day, and he was surprised it kept ringing. How long could she last down there, right? So late one night, he finally decided to dig her up and save her from that nightmare. But when he finally got to the coffin and opened it up, he was horrified by what he saw. Inside was Hannah Hatcher, still very much alive. Beneath her was the skeleton of the tycoon, picked clean of flesh and blood. She had an empty bottle of bourbon in one hand and was sucking on a bone with the other. Now, nobody else saw this but the gravedigger. In fact, nobody else saw Hannah Hatcher ever again. The gravedigger said she disappeared, and the locals never believed him. He was a drunk and always seemed to have stories to tell. Everyone figured it was all the work of grave robbers or something. But not too long after that, the wife goes missing. Nobody can find her at all. Then a couple years later, some folks pop open a barrel of bourbon that was being stored in the cellar of an old mansion. But something seems off. It tastes funny. They open up the barrel and what do they find? It's the wife, perfectly preserved in the bourbon she drowned in. How she got there, nobody knows. So Charlene is telling us this story as we get buzzed, wandering around this cemetery, and I start to see some of the safety coffin bells hanging next to the tombstones. None of them work, of course. They're all rusted and the strings have long snapped and whatnot, but it's still pretty creepy. And a fog started to roll in, so all three of us are drinking more and more to stay brave. Tom and I are just about to piss our pants until we whirl around and see Charlene staring at a tombstone she got a big old grin on her face, and she's looking all excited. I found it, she says. Sure enough, there it is. The bourbon tycoon's gravestone with a busted old bell hanging next to it. No mention of Hannah Hatcher or any of the stuff the story mentions. Looked pretty normal, honestly. We decided to hang around the grave for a bit, and as we got drunker, we started joking around and laughing and talking about what it'd be like to be buried alive. Then at one point, Charlene takes the bottle and pours out a little bit of bourbon right on the grave, like right on the dirt in front of the tombstone, and says, This one's for you, Hannah. We all take a swig and offer a toaster, then sort of give a moment of silence, I guess. Then we hear the sound of a bell, a ring kind of off in the distance. We all looked at each other like, Did you hear that? Then we started thinking, Okay, maybe it's just time to go. So I'm like, Come on, let's go back to the truck. All of a sudden, bells are ringing all over the place from all directions. The whole graveyard is ringing. So we start to run down the hill, back to the truck as fast as we can. And I swear to God, I was drinking. But while we were running back, I know I saw a rusty old bell actually ringing, moving back and forth. We hauled ass out of there pretty damn quick. I still don't know if I really believe in ghosts or anything. But I'll tell you this, I haven't been able to drink bourbon ever since. Makes me sick the moment it touches my lips. Surprise! There was also a cannibal spirit in there, too. 
but I'm sure you clever cadavers foresaw that one. And I foresee our next break. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ever feel frozen in place, cadavers? Our next tale takes the feeling to a whole nother level in a story I call Stuck. Not long ago, I was, well, I was in a rut. I was out of school. I was working a job that had little room for me to grow. I know now that it was bad, but I was stubborn. And honestly, I was having a good time and I thought I knew better. Anyway, I was going out to eat with my family one morning. The place was nearby. I picked it because I could never afford it. Along the way, there were the usual sights. Joggers, couples holding hands, and people walking their dog. But I also noticed something weird. Even for a city park, a woman was standing completely motionless in the walkway, like stiff as a board, eyes open, staring off into the nothingness. That's weird enough. But then this guy maybe her boyfriend or something, came running up, yelling, asking her where she's been, telling her he was so worried about her, stuff like that. And she still didn't move. As I walked away, he was trying to shake her out of it. By the time I got to the restaurant, my family had already ordered. Not surprising. My mom gave me a hug. My dad gave me a shrug of disapproval. My older brother just sipped his diet soda with a grin. Before I could even order, the lectures began. My dad asked me about my career, or lack thereof. My brother flaunted his success and fueled the fire. And my mom just tried to smile as she watched me burn alive. I tried to steer the conversation to other topics like holiday plans, movies, my aunt who was in the hospital, anything to break from the scolding. I couldn't stand it. Even if they were right, maybe I was wasting my life. But it's my life to waste. I don't know. I got pissed, so I finally just left. I didn't make a scene or anything. I just stood up and walked out. I pushed my way along the busy sidewalk, bumping shoulders, almost tripping over myself on the curb. I felt like I was going to blow my top. I was just, I was just so damn angry. By the time I got back to the park, the sun was going down. I wanted to explode. I wanted to cry. And I didn't feel like being around people, being seen. So I took a detour down a path I didn't usually venture. There were more trees and all that, so it felt more comfortable for me to cool off for a bit. But eventually... I realized I wasn't alone. Someone was walking behind me. I didn't hear them before, but now they were close. I tried to look behind me all chill, but as soon as I did, I stopped walking immediately. It was a man, I think, wearing a hood and a mask with strange markings. What the hell, man? I shouted, but he just stood there. I told him to get lost, leave me alone, but he didn't budge. I was about to take off running, but then he reached up and started taking off his mask. I was, I don't know. I was mesmerized. The awful, what was underneath, I can't tell you. I, I, I can't bring it back. I, I won't try to remember it. I won't. I won't. When I saw it, I just froze. 
I froze completely solid. I couldn't move at all. My muscles tensed, my bones hung in place. I couldn't even blink. I was stuck, completely stuck. And the man, that thing, whatever he was, just put his mask back on and wandered away into the depths of the park. The sun disappeared behind the buildings. Then I was alone, frozen in place and alone. All I could do was look around at the darkening world around me. My eyes got dehydrated and a film started to form over them. My trickling tears did nothing to save me from the dryness. Then I started to get thirsty and hungry. But no matter how hard I tried to move, I couldn't. After a few hours, the nightlife came out. First came the bugs. Mosquitoes, flies, moths, everything. They landed on my face, they crawled across my eyeball, and a few took refuge in my nostrils. One went full-on spelunking through my sinuses, into the back of my mouth, and down my throat. Imagine inhaling a bug and never being able to swallow. Never being able to cough. With the bugs came bats. I could hear bats flying around, diving for insects. A few dipped by my face, and one even perched in my hair, dangling upside down to bite at the fleas in its fur. Then there were the rats, gangs of them scrounging about. Some of them even fought each other over trash. At one point, a rat with some sort of oozing growth sniffed its way toward my leg. Then it latched onto my jeans and climbed its way up. When it reached my shirt, it slid underneath and sunk its claws into my skin as it pulled itself up toward my neck. Then it appeared again and balanced on two legs to sniff at my ear. A few moments later, it gave a test bite. So much pain. Satisfied, it took another. And another. Before long, I was listening to it make a meal of my earlobe. Then an owl swooped down out of nowhere and snatched a rat right off my shoulder and flew away to enjoy a meal of its own. The rest of the evening went like this. I cried endless tears. But I had to stop because the saltiness was drawing more rats. I pissed myself. I shat myself. I was beyond miserable. A statue built in hell. Occasionally, I'd see a homeless man or dealer passing through the park, but even they didn't dare approach the creepy guy just standing there covered in rats and bugs. All I could think about was how miserable I was and how I wish I had never left dinner, never gotten so angry with my family. Then morning finally came. I still couldn't move, but at least the creatures had vanished and people soon returned. A jogger or two came around. I wish I could scream, but there was nothing I could do. By noon, I had given in to never moving again. So all I did was think. I thought about my family. I thought about my life and what I had done with it. I thought about what my future would have been. Hours and hours of just thinking, wishing I had done things differently. If only I had a second chance. Suddenly, the tension released and I collapsed to the ground. I rushed home and cried as I cleaned up in the shower and bandaged up my ear. Then, I immediately started scanning for job listings. If you learn nothing else from that story, remember this, cadavers. Rats love the taste of ears. I <laughs> love them. But don't cover up your ears just yet, cadavers. There's more stories just after this. Pop quiz, cadavers. Everyone quiet down and listen. 
as Mika administers the ghost sensitivity test. Can you see ghosts? Not everyone can, but you'd be surprised how many people are capable of detecting spirits. There's a simple test you can take to know for sure. If you want, you can do it right now. The process is simple. First, find a place that's quiet and away from people. This could be at home or in the outdoors, even at school in an empty classroom. It doesn't matter as long as you're alone. Now close your eyes and take a deep breath. In and out. Next, imagine the outside of your childhood home. How tall it was, the way it was painted, the plants in the front yard, everything. Then, imagine the front door as best you can. Picture the color, the grain of the wood, the doorknob, the windows. Once you're picturing the door as best you possibly can, open it and walk inside. Leave the door open. As you explore the interior of your childhood home, go to every window in the house and open it all the way. Every window should be open. Now take another deep breath. In, out. Okay, good. Now start closing the windows, beginning with the last one you opened and working your way back in the reverse order you opened them. Close them all. Don't miss any. Then once they're all closed, walk back out in the front door and close it tight. Take another deep cleansing breath. In, out. Well done. Now here's a question for you. Did you happen to see anyone in your house while you were wandering around? Maybe you knew them. Maybe you didn't. Either way, if you saw someone in there, dead or alive, there's a very good chance you're able to see ghosts. The more people you saw in there, the more sensitive you are to the dead. But for some of us, the test shows us that we're extremely attuned to the spiritual world. It's been a year since I tried the sensitivity test myself, and it's been a struggle. When I tried it, I went to a nearby field of grass and sat down and felt the cool afternoon wind blow calmly around me. When I closed my eyes and walked into my childhood home, I saw more than I could ever imagine. At first, while I opened the windows, there were people I knew, their scents reminding me of days past, and I saw some people I didn't know too, smiling faces that nodded hello, happy to finally connect with someone. But by the time all the windows were open, there were also people that didn't look like people at all. No faces, no clothes, just beings that slowly made their way towards me, hovering along the ground. Before I knew it, I was trapped. I wanted to open my eyes. I knew I was just sitting in the grass, but I couldn't escape my own mind. I closed all the windows as fast as I could and ran for the front door. I pulled and pulled, but it wouldn't open. The faceless things got closer and closer, gliding lifelessly towards me. I could feel them. I could feel that they wanted me. They were inside of me, but they wanted out. Soon, some of my relatives and few folks I didn't recognize came to help. I pulled on the door and they, they, they stared at the door and screamed. Their eyes blackened, their mouths grew inhumanely wide, and they screamed so loud I could barely stand it. Finally, the door swung open, and I rushed out before slamming the door behind me. I woke up on the grass, drenched in sweat. It was already dark out. 
I had no idea how long I'd been there, but I was starving. So I went home and made myself some dinner. But while I cooked, I noticed that nothing felt the same anymore. I could tell I wasn't alone in the kitchen, even though there was no one in sight. And that's how I felt ever since. Every night when I lie down to go to sleep, I close my eyes and I can feel them getting closer. Like tiny vibrations that trickle through the air and vibrate my temples, standing my hair on end. I fall asleep and they tag along. The people I know, the people I don't, and everything else. The faceless ones love to partake in my dreams, always hovering ever closer, always finding ways to turn my pleasant dreams into nightmares. And when things get bad, the dead offer their sympathy, and they do what they can to keep me safe. Indeed, you're brave to take the ghost sensitivity test. But I do hope you're more fortunate than I was. I wouldn't wish those things on anyone. us down and you know the rules no screaming in class now go straight to the next break and don't return till you've learned your lesson apologies for losing my temper cadavers i just want you to reach your full scare potential <laughs> allow me to make it up to you with a tale i call super feast This was the life, flying first class to South America for a hyper-exclusive food festival where only the best dishes were to be featured. As a chef myself, I couldn't wait to see what culinary creations would be available for scoffing there. I hated flying. The seats were always too snug for a big guy like me. But the endless pours of expensive champagne and surprisingly decent in-flight snacks made it all quite bearable. I mean, come on. They were serving cheese plates that must have cost a fortune. And for my meal, I had a bone-in ribeye that was seared perfectly. Now that's flying in style. I had no idea what to expect when I landed in Lima, Peru, but I already knew I was going to enjoy this food festival. The only catch, I wasn't allowed to mention it to anybody. No family, no friends, no industry colleagues, and definitely no press, not a soul. If they found out, you'd never be invited again. Hey, no problem for me. My lips were sealed, sealed around a big old bite of fatty ribeye, baby. I didn't really understand why they invited me, but I wasn't going to pass up the chance to rub elbows with celebs and world-famous chefs while we savored on the greatest meals of our lives. No way. When we landed, I was escorted via car to a boat. Apparently, the festival was taking place on an island that belonged to an extremely wealthy doctor. I wasn't listening to everything the driver was saying, and he kind of had an accent but it sounded like the guy had invented a type of liposuction or something or sold the devices for it. I don't know. Whatever. We got to the dock and I caught my first glimpse of some fellow festival goers. Nobody I recognized yet, but it looked like a nice and hungry crowd. Very classy, too. My instincts were right and I was glad I was wearing my nice shirt and blazer I purchased a couple years back to go to a pal's wedding. We all piled into the boat and head out. And yes, the boat was serving delicious food as well. Freshly caught langoustines, oysters, bread with freshly churned butter and a nice collection of wine. Even the snobbiest of sommeliers would pop a woody for. The sea spray, the food, the drink, the good conversation with like-minded lovers of all things food. Let me tell you, pure bliss. 
When we finally arrived to the island, it was surreal. An insanely gorgeous place with a massive modern convention center-like facility. We dropped our bags off with some festival workers, then made our way inside, and wow, it was everything I'd hoped for. Stall after stall of delicious food being served free of charge. You could have as much as you liked. I swear I saw a guy walking around with an entire leg of barbarico ham all to himself. Unreal. I had lobster raviolis, gobs of uni, and the best slow-cooked pastrami I've ever had in my life. And to top it all off, the expensive booze just kept on coming. I chatted with more food aficionados, too, while we ate and drank the hours away, listening to good music and relaxing between many meals. Everything started to blur together. I lost track of time completely. I mean, I couldn't believe it was all real. And for what? All because some rich folks really love food and the people that make it. At some point, things got a little too rowdy. One kind of chubby got burst onto the main floor through a side door. He had his shirt off and started running through the festival, hollering about something. We all laughed at him when the festival security tackled him down and dragged him away to be reprimanded. Damn fool. Some people just can't handle their free liquor. But as the festival wore on, things started to feel, I don't know, off. Little things started to eat at me, you know? Like, where was I going to be staying that night? They said they provided housing, but I hadn't been shown anything or given a room or a key or nothing. And what, were they going to do this while everyone was full and hammered? And my bags, they never gave me a ticket or told me where I could pick them up. I got up from my table and then went to grab an eclair from one of the stalls. And I realized there weren't as many people as around as before. Had everyone gone off to their rooms? Was I not listening when they gave out the information? Nothing was making sense. I tried to ask the guy handing out all the French pastries, but he just smiled and nodded. Didn't speak a lick of English. I sauntered back to my table, and some of the guys I made friends with were gone too. What was happening? Maybe I couldn't handle my free liquor either. I decided I needed some fresh air so I could sober up a bit and figure things out. I didn't want to be caught without a room or have to be sent back on the boat, so I stepped out a nearby door. But the door didn't lead outside. To my surprise, I was still inside, perhaps further in than before. Looking down the long gray hallway, I could hear people shouting at each other. Sounded like they were the workers. I thought maybe it was the kitchen, so I started making my way towards the sounds. All I could imagine was how big this kitchen had to be. Then came the screams. A man screaming in pain, pleading for mercy. Then one more loud scream quickly quieted with a thud. Something was wrong. Something was very, very wrong. I heard someone shout orders in Spanish, then heard the sounds of people approaching me. Oh no, I hid as quickly as I could and then looked along the walls where a fake tree stood and watched. Then I watched as two festival workers dragged a large man's body down the hall, leaving a trail of blood behind them. I made my way back to the door I came in, but before I could reach the handle, I could hear the workers coming back. So I sprinted down the hall as fast as I could, rounded the corner and came to a catwalk landing. Below me, I saw something truly terrible, a prison of sorts. I saw cage after cage, corral after corral of people all screaming for mercy. Then I saw a tall man in a hood approach a cage and point at one of the people. Some workers pulled her out and, and cut open her stomach, exposing her yellow fat cells. Then the tall man took off his hood and it wasn't a man. 
No, it was a, a thing. It crouched down and started to eat the woman's fat, slurping it up. Oh, God. It wasn't a prison at all. It was a farm. I turned to run, but there they were, a collar in one hand, a cattle prod in the other. My feasting days were far from over, and neither were theirs. How did that one go down? Feeling full yet, cadavers? I hope not. There's one more story for dessert. Right after this. Finally, our last story of the evening. And you can play along too. All you need is a cell phone, a ten-sided die, and a whole lot of nerve. I call this tale, Tens. Okay, so this was back when everyone was on instant messenger and there were still flip phones and stuff. But texting was the new thing. Everyone was texting all the time. I was maybe 14 or 15, I think. Like leaving middle school, going into high school. Anyway, it was called the tens, and it worked like this. You get a 10-sided die, then you roll it 10 times. You can use a random number generator on a website or your graphing calculator or whatever. But whatever it is, you do it 10 times, so you end up with 10 totally random numbers. One is one, two is two, three is three, and so on. But 10 is zero. Okay, so you write those 10 numbers down in order and you get a phone number. Area code is the first three, then the last seven make the rest of the number, right? Right. Now, once you have your random phone number, you send a text. Your text is supposed to say, I'm looking for love. If they respond with, me too, they're your soulmate, yay! But if they say something else, you have to send them the instructions to do the tens. Then you have to say, if you don't, your phone will act as a beacon for ghosts and spirits for 10 days. And if there's no response at all, you have to try again until you get a response. It's basically like those chain emails people would send around, but for texts. So I'm sitting at home on a Sunday night doing homework or something when I get a text from a random number. It says, I'm looking for love, and I have no idea what's going on. So I'm just like, ugh, who is this? I thought it was just some creep or something. Then after a few minutes, I get the message with those instructions for the tens. I tried to talk to them more, but they just stopped responding. So I'm already kind of freaked out at this point. Like, I don't know who this is, and these instructions are kind of weird. But whatever. I don't want to deal with spirits or whatever for 10 days. So I go to my older brother's room because he used to play Dungeons and Dragons with his friends and get a 10-sided die from his desk. Then I roll and roll and roll and roll and roll. Finally, I've got my 10 numbers. I don't remember what they are, but I plug them into my phone and send the text. I'm looking for love. Then I wait. I was so nervous. I was just starting to be interested in boys, so the idea of getting a text back from my soulmate was dumb but exciting. And I was kind of scared too because I didn't want ghosts to come and haunt me. Nope. I couldn't even focus on my homework. I was so nervous. I just sat there waiting for my phone to buzz. But it never came. I started to watch TV and eventually I just kind of forgot about it and went to bed. So I never sent a text to another number. The instructions didn't say what would happen if you didn't, so I just didn't bother. Figured I'd sent a text message to a house number, or maybe a number that didn't exist or something. Oh well, that was fun. But later that night, I finally got a text back. 
It just said, I'll give you love. Not quite the right answer, but maybe it was my soulmate. I don't know. It was late, so I just went back to sleep. The next day at school, I'm sitting in algebra class, bored, and I remember the text I got the night before. So I go to type a response just to see what my soulmate had to say. But before I could type anything, they responded. It said, bring you love later. I went to type something again, but another text came in. Tonight. And again, and again, and again. Every text just said tonight, over and over. My phone kept vibrating. I couldn't make it stop. My teacher started to notice, so I finally had to shut it off completely. I didn't know what was going on. Like, my phone was bugging out. I was freaked. What do they mean by tonight? And how could they know where I lived? And what did they mean by bring you love? I didn't turn my phone on the rest of the day. After school, I had art club, though, and it ran later than usual, so I had to let my parents know I was going to get a ride home with Michelle. I turned my phone back on, and I had like a hundred messages from that number. All the same thing. Tonight. I was so done. I blocked the number, then called my mom and told her I was coming home. I could barely eat dinner that night. I felt sick, and even though I blocked the number, I still didn't feel safe. I spent most of the night in the living room watching history documentaries with my dad. Then I started to get ready for bed. I heard it vibrate again. It's just Michelle, I told myself. It's just a friend wanting to gossip or get answers for the algebra homework. It's nothing to worry about. I'm on my way, it said. It wasn't from Michelle. It wasn't from any of my friends. It was from my soulmate. This time, the number just said unknown. How did they get around the block? I didn't understand. I sent a message back this time saying, leave me alone. Then I shut my phone off and stuck it in a drawer where I kept a bunch of loose change and other junk. Then I tried to go to sleep, but I was too freaked out. Who was that on the other end? What did they want with me? I climbed under my covers and cried, waiting for the nightmare to be over. No, how? It was off. I jumped out of bed and pulled out my phone. The text said, getting closer. I pulled out the phone's battery and tossed it aside. Almost there, it said this time. I couldn't stand it anymore, so I grabbed the phone, ran outside, and tossed it over the fence into my neighbor's yard. I went back to bed and hid under my covers. No more vibrations. No more texts. Finally, peace. But that night, I heard my neighbor scream. To this day, I still wonder what they saw. I'm dying to see what's coming for you. I hope you enjoyed our six tales of transition. And do come visit me again soon. We have many more short, scary stories to share. Sweet dreams, my little cadavers. <laughs>